Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, featuring classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the book of Samuel, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. Now, before we read that psalm, I want to tell you again how come we're on this. Last week was worship, this week is worship. The reason we are studying the psalm on worship again is because of this. David is a fugitive from injustice running through the wilderness of Israel, especially in Judah in the southern region. Saul keeps chasing him around and trying to kill him. God keeps seeing to it that David escapes. David twice spares Saul's life. David could have easily taken his life on two occasions, but instead he gives Saul a speech from a far distance to make sure it was safe and say, look, I'm not trying to kill you. And this time in 1 Samuel 26, after long periods of being far from God, David says, look, you're, you're doing something terrible. You're, you're making me worship, worship other gods. You're, you're pushing me out of the land of Israel. I don't want to die away from the presence of the Lord. Very interesting concept that David had. The concept that David had was, he was being chased to the foreign lands. He want, he, it, for David, it was a huge responsibility, a huge important thing for him to be in the temple worshiping. It wasn't enough for David to just to have his Bible, his harp, and be on a, on a, on a um, solitary hill by himself. Now, of course, we would encourage at this church personal time alone with God. But that is not enough. God did not intend for that. Listen, friends, from one end of the Bible to the other, the Scripture talks about the public gathering of the saints to worship. You can study it all the way back from the book of Leviticus through the through the. Um, all the way through the tabernacle, including in that time period, the tabernacle in the wilderness. What led Israel, their tabernacle? How did they set their tents up at night around the tabernacle? What did they regularly do on the Sabbath? Go to worship in that tabernacle. It was, it was a special time. When you turn to the New Testament, you'll see things like Jesus Christ making it his custom to regularly be at church on the Sabbath and to worship. When I say church, I, I mean the synagogue. And we, we read in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Be together, encourage one another. All one of those, all of the teaching on the body, the body, you're, we're all parts of the body. We all need it. You know, the eye doesn't just go bouncing down the street as a big eyeball. The eye is just part of the entire body. And you've heard me do illustrations before. You know, when the you, you take a hammer and you, you smash your thumb, your thumb hurts. And what happens? Your other hand talks and says, oh, are you okay? And grabs it and, and, and cuddles it. And that's the way the body is. The body is to be a place where we care for each other, we're involved with each other. Even when we're taught to pray, it's not my Father which art in heaven, it's our Father which art in heaven. Now, this concept is sometimes radical to American Christians who don't think biblically, but instead think it's just me out there by myself with an individual relationship with God. As long as I'm doing fine, that's okay. That's not true. Paul said to the Corinthians, you think you're doing fine? One of your members is in horrible sin and you're puffed up thinking everything's fine. That's not fine. You should be mourning. You should be grieving, you see. So the whole thing is bigger. Things like this. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The concept of our relationship with God is corporate. I truly believe that when the saints gather together like we are tonight, that the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a the saints. And I think things can happen here that, that can't happen anywhere else. And one last thing by way of review. I want you to remember that when you get to heaven, you're not going to be isolated. There's no isolationist passages in heaven where somebody is out by themselves. No, in heaven, we're together. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. The saints of the ages. 
people you never knew, but all of us blood-bought, all of us people that have been redeemed by the same Savior singing His praises, worthy is the Lamb. What a place it's going to be. How exciting it is. Now, last week, we considered this. From Psalm 92, we considered several things. And I just quickly review this because the basis of worship is this. It's directly related to the God-centeredness of your heart and life. And the basis of worship, it's primarily theological. We have got to understand that our minds are supposed to understand truth. And as our mind understands truth, it captivates our will. And as our will makes our bodies submissive to that truth, our emotions catch up and rejoice. But what so many do today in the evangelical church is lead worship by their emotions. And it's like this, oh, did you feel God there today? Did you feel God? Well, I don't know about what if we felt God. I mean, you can have emotional experiences doing a lot of other things. But the, the point is, as our minds understand truth about God, who He is, what He has done, how great He is, look at it, then it's a feel, our, our, our hearts are captured. And we go, oh yes. And we respond with love. And then, of course, the, the blessings of worship. It, it, the psalmist says in Psalm 92, and this is quickly, it's good. It, I'm glad. I'm full to worship. It's good to worship. Friends, do you know why it's good to worship? Because you're doing what you were made to do. You're doing what you were created to do. When you set aside a Sunday and you come to church and we sing songs, and we're trying to improve here all the time. We're not saying we've got it. We're wanting to improve all the time. But we're saying this, when you come aside and, you, and you're worshiping and you're singing, if you've had a great time in your personal devotions and you sit there and you go, oh, i got to do this again. This was so good. I met with the Lord. I'm refreshed. I'm renewed. I'm invigorated. You know why you're feeling that way? Because you're a creature created by God and you're intended to worship. The mountains give glory to God. You know why? Because they act like a mountain. And the dogs and the cows and the ducks, they give glory to God because that's what they are. You don't see a dog going around going quack, quack. You don't see that. A dog barks and does the things that it does because a dog is made to give glory to God as a dog should. We are the ones that have rebelled. And we're the ones that need to give rebellion, pay homage, humble ourselves, give glory to God. Then we considered the nature of worship. What is it? What are you supposed to do? For this psalmist, in Psalm 92, it's proclamation. It's proclamation. We talked about clapping our hands. We talked about listening to the music. We talked about things like this. Shout for joy. We heard thought, we heard all kinds of teachings from the Psalms talking about how wonderful it is to give praise and glory to God. And our whole, our whole being, our whole involved in this. And then, of course, we talked about the fruit of worship. And the fruit of worship is the psalmist is changed. He's fundamentally changed because he's met God with the people of God. And not only that, but it shows perseverance. Long-term, running the race faithfully for long periods of time comes from regular worship with God's people. Do you know the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. God set aside for the people of Israel one day in which they were to especially go and worship the Lord. Now, tonight we come to the 84th Psalm. And in the book that Rich just let me borrow um, from, the, the man who wrote the book, who does works on several different Psalms, and I forgot his name, Rich, what was his name? Old Palmer Robertson, that's right. Um, has a way in which he believes, in studying it, as, a, as he's a scholarly man, he has a way in which he believes that this is the way that it was read in the time of Israel. And he breaks down many of the Psalms Thinking, he says, now when they came to public worship, you gotta remember, it was a festive occasion, it was an exciting time, it was a joyous place to be. People anticipated going. And they would sing, I think it's called, I never can say this, antithetel or antithetel or what is it when you sing back and forth? 
Yeah, antithetical, something like that. They would sing back and forth. Steve has us do that sometimes. You know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, he does it sometimes, back and forth. Well, what I want you to remember is this. We're going to try this tonight. The light font is my reading, and the dark font is the congregations, or do we split them up? Okay, me and, okay, that's how we're going to do this. So let's stand to our feet, and let's read through the psalm before we study it, okay? It won't take too long to study this psalm. But let's get into this worship. I, I tell you, I long, I long for this one thing. If everything else in your life falls apart, one of the goals we have here, one of the long-term goals is this. You can say, I'm discouraged, I'm bummed out, I'm tired, but there's a place to where I can go hear God's Word tonight, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, faithfully God's Word will be proclaimed. There's a place I can go to worship God with the saints. Now, with this, let's, let's read it. And this is not, of course, the NIV translation. This is O. Palmer Robinson's own translation. So let's begin. And let's, and, and let's pretend now that we're at worship in Israel. These are the Psalms that they sang. Listen, listen, my friends. Jesus Christ, when he went to the synagogue, actually read through this Psalm with the readers of Israel. Stop and think about that. And let's give ourselves now to this worship here, verse one. You guys read the dark font. Let's read it enthusiastically before God. How lovely are your dwellings. My soul yearns, even faint. Covenant Lord of hosts. You may be seated. Think of David. Think of David. There he is wandering through the wilderness. And what is it? Now, I, I know I've, I've, if you've been here this morning, you know that I've pounded you with this about six times now, but I want you to think of it again. I think it's striking. There is David wandering through the wilderness. He sees Saul. He goes in and has him and Abishai take the spear and the jug of water. He goes across to a safe distance. And he says, Abner! And Abner starts to wake up and says, You should be killed. You're not protecting your king. And Saul says, David, is that you? And David's heart is full. Imagine the emotional moment. And what is it that comes out of David's heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what is it that flows from David's heart as he speaks with Saul in front of 3,000 in the valley that night? He says, Saul, why are you doing this? Saul, you're driving me away from public worship. This is what he's saying. You're not allowing me to go. I have to go worship in Moab. I have to go worship the God of the Philistines. I'm not going to do that. You know, we know that David wouldn't have done that. But he says, you're pushing me out. I don't want to do that. Come on. I don't want to die away from the presence of the Lord. David certainly had personal devotions. David wrote many of the Psalms, I'm sure, in solitude. But that wasn't good enough. David longed, his heart longed for. In fact, stay right where you are, but listen to what he says during this same time. He writes the 63rd Psalm and he says this, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have seen you in the sanctuary. See, he hadn't been there for a while. <laughs> I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life. Oh, to be with the saints and to sing praises to God and to listen to the Scriptures read and to hear how transforming it is. So my friends, I say then in regards to this ideas from the Psalm 84, Psalm 84 is a yearning for public worship. Now this is not by David, but this is the sons of Korah, but it's a yearning for public worship. And I want you to listen carefully because friends, we all, now listen, we all have a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that longs to be filled. One thing I said last week is it was pointed out to me by somebody, I can't remember who told me, but the reason materialism, the reason money cannot satisfy is we have bought into this program in America 
that things less valuable than us can satisfy us. And so we buy cars and toys and this and that, and we somehow think, I'll be satisfied now. But you cannot be satisfied with something less valuable than yourself. We can only be satisfied with God. It was Augustine who said 1,500 years ago, our hearts are restless until they rest in Thee. And the writer of this psalm is yearning for God in public worship. He wants to be there and have the experience of God meeting Him. Now the church is put down today. And people make fun of it. And people say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. And people say, oh, the church failed here and the church failed there. I know it. We'll fail you in many ways. There's many ways in which the church could fail. People say, that's not a friendly church. I, and I think you're right. I'm not going to defend the church. I think there's things like that that are true. And so you can make all kinds of pot shots at the church. However, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so God's there in the church. And God has the church being this, an assembly of called out people that gather together for a specific purpose. And one of the great things that we have lost is worship. Coming before God, showing ourselves to be needy, asking Him to meet with us in a special way. You see, those who are truly God's people have an unquenchable thirst to be in God's house. Those that are truly regenerate. Wearsby said, let's just face it. Wearsby said, let's just face it. 80% of the evangelical church in America is lost. We said One of the tests that you can know as to whether or not you're a Christian is this. Is there a yearning? Is there a longing to be with the saints? Is there a hunger to be with God publicly and to be with the saints? Don't say that you love God if you don't love His people. Don't say that. You can't. You're a liar. You're deceiving yourself. And so, my friends, there needs to be this sense of we're going to meet God. The psalmist, this psalmist, the sons of Korah, which the way I understand it is the sons of the bald. That's what it means. Sons of Korah. I thought you'd get a little more out of that than you did. But anyway, the psalmist understands that God blesses all those who come to fellowship in His house. This was David's concern. Now, old Palmer Robinson makes this statement. Listen. When you assemble with God's people and sing to His glory, when you present your prayers and your offerings in Jesus' name, when you confess your sin and claim God's forgiveness that comes through Christ's atoning work, when you hear the reading of the Word of God and have it applied to your life by a minister of the Gospel duly called and ordained, when you celebrate the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper as a concrete way of being confirmed in the blessings of the covenant, you are receiving God's richest blessings that invariably will have significant effects on your whole life. For all these reasons and more, you should long to come to God's house. And so tonight, I'd, I'd like us to consider as we break down this psalm and work through it, several things. First off, I want you to notice the blessing of being in public worship. The first four verses. In particular, actual worship. Now, it won't take long for us to go through here, but focus now on Psalm 84 and look at what the psalmist is saying. Psalm 84 and verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Think about this. We could reword verse 1, you could reword it like this. 
How much I love being there. How much I love being there in public worship. Now the place that the psalmist is talking about is Solomon's temple. The temple that Solomon built. It was the prescribed place where you had to come to worship in Israel. The New Testament presentation, of course, is more not so much on a place than it is in the reality being in spirit and in truth. And of course, we understand from the New Testament some new ideas. For instance, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And also, according to Ephesians 2, 20 and 21, the assembled saints is a special place of gathering the body corporately there. Now, I think so many today, I really believe so many today downplay it. As if all oh, the church is not that important. No, you, you can't even believe how important the church is in the New Testament. You can't even read the New Testament without a whole bunch of the books being written to personal churches. They were expected to be together with deacons and elders and bishops and saints being gathered in the name of Jesus Christ together and worshiping, taking up offerings and doing things together. Now friends, here is what I want you to see. Do you feel the way about public worship that the psalmist does? Look at verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place. He starts off this psalm by saying this, Oh, I love your house. Oh, I, oh Lord Almighty, I love to be there. I love it. I want to be there. In fact, he goes on to say this, look at it. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now please get what he says. My soul yearns for, longs for. You know what? This is a very interesting word. It's a word that's translated yearning. It's a, it's, it's a word translated in Psalm 17.12 as a lion is greedy for prey. So as a lion is greedy for prey, so this psalmist is greedy, you might say, or hungering for worship. It's also a word used in Genesis 31.30 of homesickness. It's as if you're homesick. The psalmist is saying this, Oh, I wish I could be there. Oh, I hate the thought of missing. Oh, how bad I want to be there with the saints to worship God. I love it. And he says, my soul longs for it. And get this. He says, my soul yearns for it, even faints. The, inner, the soul being the innermost part, the nefesh, the, 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 the part of us that God has made. Uh, and, and he says this, I long to be there. I, I faint. Listen to this. The word faint means to be completely spent. To be consumed. And the psalmist is saying, I am consumed with desire. It's just captivating me. I want to be at God's house worshiping so badly. And friends, do you feel this way about worship? You see, here's what's exciting. You come to worship, and I know it. I, I'm especially, I especially pray on Wednesday nights. The people come in on Wednesday nights, and we teach. We're right now going through the book of Haggai. And, and you look discouraged and tired, and it's hard, and maybe you're waiting for your kids to get out, and I know you're here. And so I try to be a special pastor on that night and really try to encourage you because I know you're down. But you Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, you come to church, and sometimes you've been up playing uh, games with your kids until late at night, or whatever it is, and you're a little bit tired, and you come in, and you go through the service, and sometimes I see people nodding off a little bit. You know, I, I know it's hard, and I've been there before, taking cold medicine or something before you come, and it's very hard, or you're just especially tired, or a boring sermon. Let's just get to the point. It was a boring sermon, all right? <laughs> this psalmist... Has God, as he's writing this psalm and as he's contemplating public worship, he has got his soul, his heart, his mind, his body working together as one. And this psalmist says this, Oh, I am there. I want to be there. Oh, I love it. I long for it. I'm consumed with it. I literally, I lust after it. I, I want to be there worshiping God. And it's not going to be a problem to pay attention. 
And it's not going to be a problem to stay focused. I'm there to hear from God. That's what he says. Friends, maybe that's a lesson for us that we need to prepare for public worship. So you come in mentally, spiritually, and physically prepared. You come in saying, I'm ready to worship today. I can't wait to be there. Now, if you had a terrible time with the kids and you were up late, somebody was sick or whatever, still come and say, oh, don't say, oh, I'm not going to come, Pastor. Don't come unless I'm totally prepared. I know it's not always practical. But I am saying this, come prepared. Come thinking, I'm going to meet God. I want to meet Him. He's going to be there. Our whole being is together going to worship Him. My soul yearns. Look at, even faints for the course Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Boy, what an exciting time it was for this psalmist to go to church. Verse 3 is a little hard to understand, but let's look at it. He basically, I think the verse is talking about the sparrow found in your home and the swallow a nest for herself near the altar. I think he means this. When you really come home to worship, you're doing what you were meant to do. For instance, the sparrow is, the mother sparrow searches for a place to put her nest. And the swallow does the same thing to build a home. And that's because they're birds. They're made to do that. It's natural. It's an instinct. And what he's saying is this. It's, it, there's a place of peace that his soul yearns for. It's a place of encouragement. It's a place that is there when the saints come together for worship. It's, it's doing what's best. It's the highest call in life. It's what you're really supposed to do to give glory to God with all of your heart and soul. And then notice verse 4. He says this, Consider yourself greatly blessed when you're doing this. This is what David missed so much. He missed out on the blessings, the, the joyfulness, the excitement of being there. And I know that you got all different kinds of churches and all different kinds of particular views of music and there's all kinds of questions. Well, what's this and what's that? And I know all those are hard and, and maybe need to be culturally understood. But however you come, whatever style music, whatever it is, when you go to the church that you go to, you know what? You need to come totally ready to hear from God that God's going to speak through the Scriptures and, and through the church uh, to you. Listen to this. Just stay where you are and relax and listen to this. The psalmist, sons of Korah, so it makes this comment. Same, same as the Psalm 84. He makes this comment about worship. Listen. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet God? Now, now everybody, listen here. Listen here. This is so important. The psalmist is saying, when can I go and meet God? I want to go meet God. We all think, when you read Psalm 42, which is what I'm reading from, you all think, well, why doesn't he go have personal devotions? Because he's not talking about personal devotions. He's talking about public worship in Psalm 42. How do we know that? Listen, he says, My tears, I'm weeping over this. My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I, now everybody listen, please listen. How I used to go with the multitude. Leading the procession into the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Well, you come in some early, some late. You sit around and talk. Hey, Fred, how's it been going? Oh, good. What you been doing? How's business? Fine. Good, good. But you know how you came to the temple? You came into the temple. You came marching in with shouts of joy and festive songs. Praise God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Praise Him. Shouts of joy. Let's clap our hands to give glory to God. There was a sense of going there. I'm, we're going to meet God. There was nothing casual about it. It was a time of coming to meet God with everything in us. And this psalmist goes this. Oh, I want to meet God. When am I going to get to go back to church? That's what he's saying here. When am I going to get to go back to the synagogue? When am I going to get to go and meet with God? He says, my tears have been my food all day long. Why? Because I remember how I used to go with the multitude 
leading the procession into the house of God, shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Among the festive throng. Let me ask you something. Does a festive throng, does that sort of indicate the kind of attitude we should have as we come? Shouts of joy and excitement? You see, this is what worship was like. The same thing in Psalm 63. The same thing in Psalm 73. The psalmist is completely transformed as he goes to worship and is, is there. God has intended for the public reading of Scripture, the public proclamation of His Word, the singing of songs to change our lives. It's actual worship. Now, are you ready for this next point? This is a shocker. Hang on. Hang on to this one. Because the next part of this psalm, for point one is the blessing of being in public worship, but watch this. The blessing of traveling to public worship. Verses 5-7 through seven is anticipation of worship. Now, let's read verses 5-7 through seven of Psalm 84. Look what he says. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Are you watching? They set their hearts on pilgrimage. Verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, the psalmist is talking about worship is so great in Israel, it was so exciting to go to worship God, that actually the journey there was wonderful. Now think about it. Think about it. You are wonderfully blessed not only when you are actually worshiping, but actually when you're on the way. And when he says in verse 5, blessed, listen, this is used in the Psalms of the blessed is the man who meditates day and night in the Word of God in Psalm 1. It's used in the same word that's found in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. And here, blessed is the person on his way to worship. It's placed up there with meditation. It's placed up there with your sins being forgiven. You're blessed as you go to worship. Now in Israel, of course, they would travel on the road and it was very difficult. And again, allow me to read from Old Palmer Robinson. Listen to what he says. Do you sometimes think it's hard to get out to church? How about some of you young families with your little kids? Do you feel that way? Do you, I have that part. He says this. Do you find it especially difficult in the summertime to come on Sunday evening as well as Sunday morning? The children are playing contentedly on the patio. Must you go through the wrestling match of cleaning them up, putting them in their good clothes a second time? Compare your situation to the Israelites of old. We know they had a Sabbath day that was observed every week. They consecrated one whole day in seven to the Lord. In addition to this weekly Sabbath, three times a year, all the males and very often the whole families made a long trek to Jerusalem. A week or more they spent worshiping God morning and evening, living out in the tent. They brought their families daily to the temple of the Lord and the psalmist says they loved it. They found a special blessing even in anticipating the trip. The psalmist said, How blessed are those whose heart is in the highway to your house. They loved even the prospect of going to worship. Verse 5 is, Blessed are those who are setting their hearts on the pilgrimage. Even those that are thinking, Alright, guess what? Next week, next week, it's the festival of lights. Or it's the feast of, what would it be? The, 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 gym, the, 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 uh, the, 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 yeah, the booths. The, the, you go into the booths. We're, we're going to camp out in Jerusalem. We're going to camp all around the temple. We're going to be there all week camping out. It's going to be great. We're going to go worship God. Dad's going to be in there every day doing different things. It's going to be fantastic. Look at verse six. Look what he says, everybody. This is great. 
as they pass through the valley of Baca, they'll make it a place of springs. Listen, life's sorrows are relieved when a man journeys towards God's house. Life's sorrows are relieved. The, the, in Israel, to put this in the right context, you're working hard. You're plowing the field by the sweat of your brow. You're, you're watching out for Philistines. You're going through all of that. And as you're there, okay, next week we're going to go on. It's basically a family vacation. We're all going together to go worship God. And you know what? It made your sorrows go away. The valley of Baca is a valley of tears. And, your, and the valley of tears gets made into a place of springs. What would be a place of springs to people living in a desert country? A place of refreshment. And the autumn rains cover it with pools. What would that be? There'd be a, a sense of the, of the freshness of, of blessing. Rain was considered not like we look at it as we can't go outside and play. Rain was a blessing to have. Oh, okay. The place of the valley of tears gets turned into a, a place of joy. Life's, life's pleasures are changed. There's a refreshment. Just starting out changes everything. Again, I'd like to refer to the 73rd Psalm. The psalmist is bitter. He's downhearted. He's broken up. He's wanting to give up. He says, it's not even worth going to worship anymore. I might as well give up. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God and then everything changed. He went in that day and heard a sermon on hell and everything changed for the psalmist in Psalm 73. One of the things I'd love to see, you come, you hear the songs, you hear the testimonies, you hear the scriptures, you, you enjoy the music, and you listen to the preaching of the Word, and your mind is renewed. And all of a sudden, you're filled with hope again. And suddenly, anxiety is left. The Valley of Baca, you may have been crying the day before, but now it's a place of refreshment. And you realize Jesus Christ is real. The Holy Spirit loves me. He cares about me. He's involved in my life. A place of refreshment, a place of renewal. And instead of, and so here you got mom and dad bummed and discouraged, coming, weeping, discouraged, down, 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 and they go to church, and ah, they're up again. That's what needs to happen. You need to be encouraged and strengthened. You need to take it seriously when you come. So you need to anticipate this worship. Can I tell you, friends, we, that's what church needs to be. It needs to be a time where everything being made new, the Valley of Baca becomes a place of refreshment. And notice something else. Look at verse 7. It's ready. Look at, oh, you're getting the kids ready. You're putting diapers on. And then, then someone else messes up and you're cleaning things up and they spill things. And you're on the way to, what always happens on the way to church? You have an argument, right? You start arguing about something. I had to put that in the car. You did not. I told you. No, you didn't. And you're trying to go to church. Five minutes later, you're going, praise him, praise him. Jesus, my blessed redeemer. Now, now, now watch. Everybody, for those of you, I must have touched a button here with you. For those of you that understand that, look at verse 7. Look what it says. In verse 7, it says this. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Do you know what this is? Think about it. You're going over hills, through valleys, through deserts. You're traveling miles on foot. Maybe your wife's on a donkey and maybe your kids are running around, but you're going. It's a hot and thirsty land. You're out there going to worship. And guess what should happen to most people that travel through the desert to worship? You should go from strength to weakness. But the psalmist says when you go to church, worship is so real as you go to meet God that on the way to worship God, you go from strength to strength. You don't come home disappointed. You don't come home tired. You come back refreshed. I will, I will tell you, friends, that the journey doesn't wear you out as you travel to Jerusalem. The journey won't wear you out as you travel to meet God. No, it may be hard, but you go from strength to strength. Strength to strength. Guess why you go from strength to strength? Because your anticipation grows. I'm going to meet God. We're going to meet God and His people. What has God prepared for us? 
Go expectantly. You know, I've been a boxing fan for years. Just as a little kid, it was forced upon me, and I've enjoyed. I was a big fan of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. And I tell you, I got to take into a lot of those fights. They were on closed circuit television. And you sit there and you anticipate what's going to happen. And pretty soon they start coming out and they start coming out. There's an electricity in the air. And people are excited. Look what's going to happen. They're going to fight. And they're, they're standing there. The, the, the refs introduce them and they're looking at each other and they're going, they're talking, they're in a bad mouth. And you're wondering what's going to happen. And you know, nowadays you may not appreciate that if you're new into boxing because with Tyson, it only lasts 90 seconds afterwards or so. And it doesn't last so long. But then there's long fights with strategy and, and planning. Can I tell you? That's the kind of anticipation that happened in Jerusalem when people went to worship. There was electricity in the air. We're going to meet God. We're going to meet God. We can't wait to be there. And I I would encourage you, go to bed early on Saturday night. Go to bed praying. You know what we're going to be in on Sunday here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 27 next week. Maybe take your kids, sit down and read 1 Samuel 27 to them and say, now we need to pray for Pastor Kaufman. Pray for your Sunday school leaders. Say, go, we, we, uh, help us. Lord, we're going to speak to us and read the chapter. Say, I wonder what's going to come out of this. I look forward to hearing. And when Steve has us sing songs, can I tell you? He's got an idea. He's trying to plan an idea. He's got a theme going normally. And as you listen to the words and you're singing them, don't just go, eh, no, this one, you know, da, da, da. don't like to be critical, you know, you know, whatever. Don't do that. Come and say, this is the church. I may not like everything about it, but this is our leaders. They've led us this way. We're worshiping God. Sing the songs with all of your heart. The last few Sundays, it's been so invigorating for me to bow my head at the Shoney's restaurant and to say this prayer. Oh God in heaven, I'm so privileged that I get to go to church and proclaim your word. It's my privilege. I wouldn't want to be anybody else today. This is what I get to do. And I promise you this. When I go there today, I'm going to get done Sunday so tired I can hardly hold my head up because I'm going to preach with everything I have because that's my that's my sacrificial worship. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship you by giving my all to you. God's called me to be a pastor teacher. That's what I am. That's what I need to be. And when I'm best at it, when I'm just serving him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you need to come to church saying, well, we got to make it a priority and, and we're going to be diligent about it and we're anticipating. Okay, look at, look at the last one. We'll be done here. The blessing and trusting the God that you... Worship. And we'll just finish up here, verses 8 through 12. Watch this. A couple more key points. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Prayer is a big part of public worship. Prayer is not something you just sort of do so that you can go through the service. Prayer is a big part of the worship. We need to understand that here. Look at verse 9. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Guess what verse 9 is, friends? Verse 9 is a verse that says you should pray for those leading the service. Do you pray, as I've already asked you to, for myself? Do you pray for the staff as we prepare for services? What verse 9 is about, he's praying either for the king or he's praying for the priest. That's what verse 9 is about, which it is, but it's either the king or the priest. He's praying for them so that the worship service would be successful and God-glorifying. And then look at verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Wow! Stop and think about this a minute. The psalmist really means what he says. I would rather spend one day worshiping God than three years on the beach. That's what he says. Someone says, would you rather take a three-year vacation to this, this son of Korah? Or would you rather have one day? He says, it means so much to me to meet God. My life is so enlarged. I am so in need of meeting God. It means so much for me to go to church. I would take one day of worship for three years on the beach. How sad it is that evangelicals today don't feel the same way. 
It's like every chance we get, oh good, need a break, gotta get away, I gotta, here's what people say to me all the time, you know, I really need to get away so I can strengthen and get my batteries recharged, and usually they mean go away and sit around in front of a TV or by a pool for four or five days. Well, I'm for that, I have to know, I'm human, I would like that kind of thing, but can I tell you, you want to get your batteries recharged, you go to church. That's where you're going to get your batteries recharged. And then, look at verse 11. For the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Here's why it's so wonderful to be there. Because God's there and God is the blesser. And He blesses better than anything that you can find on the beach or on vacation. He'll never withhold anything but what is good. It's a blessing. And then He closes, O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trust in you. Yearning for public worship. Yearning for it. We're here for the saints. We're here for the saints to worship. We're here for the saints to have their batteries refreshed and recharged and renewed and for you to leave going, yes! Yes! I will close with this benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.